0: Hello Gems, welcome to another episode of TRs in Tech. I'm your host, Shelly Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Jenny Barris, and she is the co-founder and president of Pink Shark PR. We talked about how men and women approach their startups differently, how she helps female founders get media exposure, and our shared love of Disney. Without further ado, on to the episode. Hey, Jenny. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Shelley, Thank you so much for having me. I am such a fangirl of you and the show.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So let's just jump right in and have you tell us your um, career story and how you ended up doing PR for women in tech.
1: It is one of those really random, but totally intuitive stories. So I started my career about 15 years ago as a tech copywriter and content marketer. And it was one of those things where I just started having, I had creative inspiration for what I wanted to do for up and coming tech companies. And it was like, I was starting to see different companies pop up and I was like, oh, that's cool. They should do this. And it was just totally intuitive. And I, I started in SAS and then I branched out into fintech, cybersecurity, AI, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started just doing content and copy. And then at the time, um influencer outreach was starting to take off with B2C companies. At the, at the time, it was called blogger outreach. So I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, and I thought, man, that is so cool. That should really, we should find a way for that to apply to B2B tech companies. And so I started pioneering strategies to help tech companies get in on the action. Um, and then from there, PR was just kind of the natural evolution. Um, I was like, yeah, this is really cool. Why isn't anyone writing about it? So I just started teaching myself how to reach out to reporters and starting to build my contacts and kind of PR know-how from there.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And it's um, so hard to compete with other companies these days, you know, that it's very um, important to hire someone good like yourself to (laughs) help out. Yeah. yeah, so a question that a lot of entrepreneurs have um especially myself like how how did you find your first client and how long did that take?
1: That is such a great question. So I am a big fan of cold outreach. I'm a very linear thinker. So in my mind, especially you know when I was first starting off in you know my 20s, I was like, well, I want to do X and I need, and I want to work with Y. So the best idea is just to send them an email. And especially when I was a kid, because you're, you're a kid in your twenties, really, you know, I always sounded like I had just snorted pixie sticks. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was so enthusiastic. And I, I mean, I still am, but you know, age, age wisens us a bit, but I just had all these exciting ideas. And so I would just cold pitch and so I got my first clients, cold pitching them and reaching out, saying, "Hey, I really admire your company. I'm a copywriter and I write content. Um, I have these ideas. I think it could really do X, Y, and Z for your brand. Like maybe we should talk." And that is how I got my first clients in the space. And it did not take me long at all. Once I decided to do it, it took me like a month, and I was and I was in.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty good you know, return. How um, many, like, um, emails did it take to find that that one client? If you remember, yeah.
1: Not many, a handful. Many. Okay. Um, well, the, and then the reason that it worked that way is because I, I and I didn't know this is what I was doing at the time. But the emails that I were sending, they were with companies that I really felt a connection to. They were with CEOs that I really felt a connection to. And I really liked their product. Like maybe I saw it in Forbes or I saw it on a crowdfunding site or I saw it in Business Insider. And I just got really, really excited. And um, like, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a client that happened much later on, but I was reading about them in Forbes. Got really excited. They were doing something that I was personally interested in. It was Christmas Eve, and I thought, "What the heck?" And I wrote an email, and I heard back immediately. Wow!
0: <laughs> because founders
1: never sleep or take holidays. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on that. So. The reason that I didn't have to send very many, and when I do still cold email, I don't go on these huge cold email campaigns or anything like that. I really stick with who interests me, and I write these very highly targeted, highly personalized um, emails, and when you do that, when you spend a little bit more time per email, you don't have to send you know crazy amounts of them.
0: That's a really good strategy. I actually have never heard that because um, most people are like, you know, scraping and just <laughs> generating spreadsheets of like thousands of oh, yeah. leads. But a lot of those, the um, information is maybe older or like inaccurate. So then on top of the scraping, you have to, you know, ensure that all the emails on that list are actually still active before you totally. try to send. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the irony is if you just slow down and really pursue what catches your interest, and then mm-hmm. just write a genuine email that shows that you are really connected to what they're doing, that you're really excited about what they're doing, and then obviously, you know, share a little bit on what. You think you could do to improve? You know, there and, and again, it's never critical. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, I told them I found a typo on their website." Nobody wants to hear that. No, and nobody nobody wants to absolutely work with the person who points out the typo. So, yeah. you know, what can you really bring to them? And um, you'll send far fewer. You'll send far fewer. You'll send out. There, there are times where I send out five and I hear back from all five. Wow. So, yeah, uh, so the the better, the more you personalize it, mm-hmm. the better the response, and and the quicker you get to actually signing them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that is such a great tip. Um, and I I can tell you as a you know business owner myself, the amount of these emails that I get every single day, and it it isn't just one. They'll send like three or, or four. And it's just like, the last one is, is always, um, I, I haven't heard from you. If I I don't hear from you, I'll, I'll stop sending you emails. And I'm like, dude, that's not a threat. That's a promise.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Or they sound like controlling ex-boyfriends. They're like, where's my response? What? I don't.
0: Please respond. (laughs) I don't ever yeah. respond to those i
1: don't owe you an, and that's the thing that i think when you're doing cold email you have to remember that you are inviting yourself into their inbox you are not invited there it is a privilege to have that email address and so the the kind of the attitude of the and it's just pushy sales tactics and stuff and if you think you have to do a pushy sales tactic you may as well go do something else because sales tactics don't work genuinely connecting with somebody works. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, nobody, you know, no, cause nobody owes you a response either. You yeah, found right. that email. So, um, you know, treat it, treat it like gold and treat it like it's a privilege to reach out.
0: Absolutely. So, um, let's talk about how, how important is media coverage for early stage, um, uh, f- f- founders, especially women.
1: Oh, it's so it's so important. Um, and it's something that I have just been on my uh, what's the what's the word on my, on my church platform, <laughs> you know, my pulpit just sharing uh, left and right about so old wisdom used to tell early stage founders that they really should not say anything about their about their startup until you know, their product is perfect. The sun is yay high in the sky, you know, the grass is knee length, you know, whatever, whatever. And that comes from a time where about 10 years ago, we did have a SaaS boom. We did have um, various, you know, we had a VC boom. We had various companies just rolling out with tons of money. And what happened was you had a lot of these startups that started reaching out to reporters, saying that they had technology that worked and they were doing X, Y, and Z, and it didn't work. And and frankly, it was kind of a letdown. And we remember that, it may have been a little longer than 10 years ago, but we remember all these promises from all these, you know, maybe would be unicorns or leaders, and it just sort of fell flat. So then the pendulum swung the other way and it was, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything until it's perfect. Um, startups, especially early stage require a very different PR strategy than let's say somebody who's already on to series C or series D or somebody who's recently IPO. An early stage founder doesn't in a company does not exist in the eyes of the world. You are working from complete scratch. And it is not beneficial for you to build in the dark. Now you may say to me like, Hey, well then what about the product? The product is never the story. It's never the main story. The product is not the most interesting part of the story. And in the first six to 12 months of an early stage founders, press coverage and media efforts should absolutely be more about thought leadership industry commentary, talking about the movement that they're part of, highlighting the way that they think as a leader, that is how you're going to get the attention of strategic partners, potential customers, and most importantly at this stage, investors. Investors want to see how you think. They're not interested in your product at this point, and they need to start seeing you everywhere. Now, add women to, to the fold to that. And we already know, I mean, unless you've been living on a you know a different planet, we already know that women get generally about 2% of VC funding and that number is less. Right now it's hovering at the time of this interview about 1.7. So it's actually dipping with the market conditions, the way that they're that they're, you know, currently playing out. So if you want to be funded, then you need to be found and you need to make sure that you're showing up in a more aggressive and a more assertive way than your male counterparts. And I can promise you that most of your male competitors are not out there doing early stage press. A lot of them are following traditional wisdom, which is frankly outdated. And we all know that women can outwork men. (laughs) We can outthink them and we can outwork them, but to get that funding, you have to get in front of those investors and investors if they repeatedly see you in the places they're reading, the places that they're watching, you catch their attention. You're going to have a much easier time getting some of those inbound requests with investors who share your values. Um, but you got to make it easy on them to, you know, you have to make it easy on them to find you. And so, because we're already so far behind in the VC funding game, this is an area where it's wide open for the taking, and and women can really pull ahead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you touched on, you know, the um, percentage there. Women, I think that we, um, and this this also goes for me, we're like constantly questioning ourselves. And for me personally, I feel like that's just a lifetime of being gaslit. And so I just constantly question, are my thoughts valid? Am, am, am I doing the right thing. And that, um, type of attitude and outlook, I think holds us back. Um, yeah. And I always tell myself whenever I feel like quitting, that is when I have to dig in and keep going. Cause you know, if, if you think you're going to quit, then you're probably going to quit, you know, it's, it's all, (laughs) all in your mind. Yeah. It's
1: true. I think that a startup founder can think about quitting a hundred times a day. Yeah. And, and I think it's okay to let yourself feel the way, this is something that my co-founder always tells me too, especially when I am just, you know, in a, in a mood or having a particular day, she's like, go ahead and quit in this moment, you know, because we all do it. We're all like, that's it. I've had it, you know, go ahead and quit in the moment take the rest of the day off, go feel how you're feeling, go do things that support your mental health, go do things that support, you know, things that you enjoy to do that have nothing to do with, with your company. And what usually happens is six, eight hours later, you're like, oh, I don't really feel like quitting. I just needed a break.
0: (laughs) Totally. And like, I am the type of person that if, someone doesn't remind me to take a break or like eat food then i will literally go for like 8 hours and just work without getting up or anything it's yeah. it's not great um so i i should really change that and you know yeah. stretch and stuff like that every once in a while um but yeah um the Other thing that I just wanted to touch on is um, how men just overall, when I'm with men who are entrepreneurs and, you know, stuff, they're confident. They're also very entitled. They're like expecting clients to come to them. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. And so they just switch, you know, Careers or um, uh, what's the word like industries, right? Um, I've I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm sorry. I just wanted no, to mention good. it.
1: You with you. So <laughs> PR is a very so. What you don't realize when you first get into PR, when you first start a PR agency, one of the things that you don't realize that's like buried underneath the surface is that PR is. Yes, you need it for business. And yes, you need it for investors and sales and strategy and customer acquisition, all of that. But it also is a very ego-driven
0: discipline. Thank you.
1: And what I mean by that is, yes, you need it for all of those things. But what really surprised me was how founders can feel personally rejected. And I was not expecting that. And it's very funny because I will say that the difference of, you know, our women clients and some of the the male clients that we've had in the past, the women generally, and obviously there's no absolutes, but the women generally roll with the punches a lot better. They will get more into a position of, okay, how do we pivot? How do we give them what they want? How do we change the story? They're willing to listen to the reporter feedback. Whereas their male counterparts get blustery, you know, well, if they don't, you know, I had one founder say to me, you know, well, if, if they don't want to do, um, this was several years ago, I don't have it too much anymore, but if they don't want to do the story on what I want to do the story on, and they don't want to cover me, then I'm never gonna, I'm never going to let them cover me. And I just said, they don't care.
0: (laughs) I really don't
1: <laughs> they really don't care and it took me a minute I was like what is this and I realized that that's that is ego that is how you roll with feeling rejected but you know I came from you know doing copy and doing content and doing influence and it's just so and, and even PR it doesn't mean anything about you as a person or anything mm-hmm. like that like but I was not expecting because people don't attach their ego to their copy people don't attach their ego to their the influencers that are you know selling their stuff. But man, do they attach their ego to whether or not they get into Forbes.
0: (laughs) Oh, God, that I, I would love to be in Forbes. That would be great. (laughs) Like, I, I, I don't care how that would happen, you know, and like, I if, well, Anyway, this is well, about me. Now, you, yeah. you, now, you've got
1: friends, now you've got friends who know the ins and outs, so we'll see what we can do. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like moving on, um, how can you leverage media for funding?
1: Okay. So two different ways. Well, multiple ways, but you want to look at it in two different ways. So you want to get in, the, the, the main thing is you want to be where your target investors or Whatever your goal is for media, you want to be where they're showing up. You want to be where they're reading. And as an early stage startup, especially, you want to be aggressive about it. So a lot of times founders who are brand new, they're like, I either want TechCrunch or Bust. Well, you know, darling, TechCrunch is not generally going to just jump on you without getting to know you, without unless you have some massive funding announcement. You know, Now, if you're telling me you just did a $250 million raise, sure, TechCrunch is going to want to take you right out of the gate. And it's not to say that I haven't seen other major publications take a startup right out of the gate. Most of the time, though, out of the gate, those stories are what we talked about before. They're more about the founder. They're more about the societal impacts. They're more about the story above the story. So I watch founders skip over opportunities left and right that would build up what we call a press runway. And a press runway, if you think about, if you think about where you are with press right now you are a tiny little pilot light. Nobody, you know, in the fireplace, nobody knows who you are. You have, you have a dim, you have this little light that's burning bright and burning strong, but you're small. And so what you want to do is you want to keep adding to that flame until the fire takes off on itself. And what happens when you have a roaring fire, When you have a roaring fire. It feeds itself. You don't have to get up and keep stoking it constantly. You don't have to throw as many logs or twigs on the fire that is what early stage startups need to do when they are building a press runway for themselves so if you want to leverage for funding again you need to be found you need to be found in the places that the investors are reading and the places that the people who report on the investors are reading and where they're looking so a lot of times that looks like industry and that looks like niche press um that may look like podcasts you're like oh that podcast isn't ginormous It may not be ginormous, but if it's highly targeted um, and it's on a topic that's going to rank highly on Google for you (laughs) through show notes, then you're going to want to do that. So I watch a lot of people say, well, I don't want anything if it's not the New York Times. And they fail to build this runway, which means they fail to get in front of the right people along the way. And then they don't have anything because every piece matters on your way to investor money and and top tier press. So you have to get really strategic about where your investors are reading, what they're looking for, what their values are, what they're, who they're already investing in, and start having those conversations in the media. And then once you start getting those media hits, and this is something we tell our clients constantly, is that you can maximize your reach through paid advertising. So my firm only does earned media because that is the that is the value. The value is on the merit. However, press that has been advertised works very differently. It's sort of like pouring gasoline into that fireplace because you're not going to have the same resistance from a targeted audience reading that post because they know it's not sponsored. It is an earned media news piece. It's not an advertisement, so there's very little resistance, but you also get the Supercharge from having it for having it advertised over and over and over again so like we have a client that's been using a new york times feature for the last four years as their main lead driver um on social media because it still works it's an interesting article about what they've done in the industry it doesn't focus on their product but it focuses on societal change And we're talking about like cents on the dollar that you can get per click to get people to read about you. Um, So I would, on top of strategic targeting, I would also advertise with strategic targeting once you get that press in the door.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I niche audiences are my thing. That's what I right. always tell people because I I have a very niche audience. You know, you, you know, that. you've targeted my podcast and your people yeah. ha- have brought me guest after guest. Um so, yeah, like you have to start out in a position where you can compete with people. So, absolutely. Like i I always tell people if um, you're like interested in YouTube, don't make a channel about like Pokemon or something like that. you're you're never gonna get seen because exactly. you know? there are so many people out there. You have to pick something that is um highly relevant but has yeah. lower competition.
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And aggressively leverage what's trending, you know, because there are so many angles that you can take about what's trending and start weighing in that your competitors are not weighing in. And usually the larger the competitor, the lazier their media strategy, I will just say when it comes to those, when it comes to those fast wins. And that is actually not, that's, that is actually very strategic because the bigger a company gets, you know, like. If I compare like my early stage and growth stage startups to a company that's IPO, and I ask you what one of the main differences when we are working on each of these, when we're working on each of these client accounts, um, the startups can move faster. They can take advantage. And so I always say speed is the superpower of the startup. Use it. Your big competitors don't have that same privilege. So like if we bring, let's say, some opportunities to do some awesome news jacking, let's say like I'm... SVB Bank, for example, like SVB blew up. Everyone talk about it. The smaller companies were able to weigh in faster than some of the larger counterparts because they don't have the same approvals. They don't have to ask everybody on the board. Um, I remember one time I had a client that uh, President Biden had made an announcement. This is a couple, maybe like a year and a half ago, that that would really have benefited their company. And we wanted to put out a press release and we wanted to put out some media in the same day about it. And they got back to me a week and a half later once everything was approved. And I was like, that is so dead. (laughs) But my startups got to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. So use, you know, use where you actually have, where you have the upper hand and speed is where a startup has the upper hand.
0: That's great. That is such excellent advice. So I have a segment that I like to call precious gems. I'm going to screen share for you. But for people who are listening on the podcast, I'll read it out. Um, This is where I read um, questions and comments from listeners across all social media. We're on LinkedIn and um, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Um, oh, cool. so you can check us out there, but this, uh, quote, um, was from the episode with Carrie Harbath. Um, she said, we shouldn't have to end the work day and go to therapy about what somebody said in a meeting. This was, you know, a, a very, um, interesting, um, talk on, ableism, you know, and um, stuff like that. But uh, the response, yeah, the um, listener response was from none other than Scooter Phoenix, aka Angela Andrews, who was on the show um, very early on in this show, actually. And she just says truth. She's yeah. a, a woman of few words. And I just <laughs> wanted to... <laughs> thank her for um, her comment. And this topic is very um, special to me as a person who stutters as a woman in this industry. You know, I've had to go to a lot of therapy for things, (laughs) but (laughs) now I am well adjusted. So just wanted to highlight that. Um, If you want to be featured in Precious Gems in the future, just leave us a comment on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Pinterest and use the hashtag make yourself shine. Cool. Um, How do I stop screen sharing? Okay, there we go. (laughs) I'm a pro. I actually um, have not (laughs) recorded an episode for like four months which is why like, I'm just a, a tad off because I'm out of practice here. You're doing great. Right. I did not know Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you so much. See, as a woman, I'm constantly questioning myself. And like, am I? Yeah. No, you're doing fantastic. I have fancy. to stop. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, back to media considerations. How do you get mainstream media to love on your startup?
1: So... You want to connect with reporters that you don't want to just have you know. You know, it's one of the things that people do is they will just. Blast reporters with pitches. You know they don't bother to look up who the reporter is. They don't bother to look up, you know what what exactly they're writing for, um, or what what they actually enjoy. Most of the time, reporters write on beats that they enjoy. Um, also, reporters switch beats very ferociously. So I'll give you an example. Like one time I was working, I was in the middle of a campaign. I was working with a, a client that was in kind of like the diamond tech marketplace space. And so I was pitching reporters who covered tech and luxury goods. And literally within a course of a few weeks, I reached back out to the reporter and they were now covering Middle East politics.
0: That's a little (laughs) different.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they change, you know, and they change very, they can change very quickly, you know, what they're doing. Um, And so it's important, obviously, to stay up. But You have to think about it as relationships. Reporters open less than 3% of pitches that they get. Reporters open pitches they're interested in very quickly. I once sold a story to TechCrunch within three minutes. So it's about building relationships, but it's also about pitching to them like they're your first reader of, because they are. They're your first reader of the publication that you're pitching. So I always tell my, my, you know, my team and I tell you know my clients that I consult with that we're, maybe we're not doing the work for them, your subject line has to read like a headline. And even better if your pitch reads like a news story. And if they can see where it falls in to what they write about, what they're interested in, you convince your first reader ever to cover your startup It's going to be because A, you did a little work for them. And two, you didn't ask them to see how it would be a news story. You showed them and you showed them that it fits in. So if they write for Forbes, you wrote it like it would be in Forbes. If it's going to be in Business Insider, you wrote like it would be one of their pieces in Business Insider. You can't just spray and play. You can't just, um, you know, write an email that's kind of blanket that you send out to 500 people, because the idea is you don't want this reporter to cover you one time, you want this reporter to be a, an advocate to be an ally of your business to and vice versa, you know, you also want to be able to offer because it is very much a two way street you are not there just to get them to cover your startup. You are there to help them do their job. So a lot of like my clients, one of the things that's really worked for them too, is we're like, who, who do you know? Like, who do you know that we could also, you know, say, hey, bring them into the story that you're doing, or hey, here's some of my colleagues, like, you know, if you ever have, you know, if you're doing another story on X, Y, and Z, you know, I know someone at this bank, or I know somebody at this startup, or I know someone at Techstars, or I know someone at Y Combinator, you know, whatever that is, makes a big, big difference. So it's the combination of building these relationships so that you have a champion, that you have a, you have some reporters who are champions of your work as your, as your company grows, but also show them, you know, what a good clickable news story is, And create that headline and that intro for them so that their work is already done and they could see you so firmly in their publication.
0: I love that. Yeah, that is um, really, really good advice, especially because, you know... When you send these pitches to people, they get so many, especially if they're working for like a a Forbes or, yeah, something like that. You need a good um, juicy headline or uh, subject, yeah, because otherwise they won't even open it ever, I think.
1: yeah, No, and they won't. And if they're interested, they will open fast. They open, Mm -hmm. if they're interested... Typically, they'll open within a minute or two. Wow! So if so, it's it's pointless too to send a crummy pitch and then follow up seven times. That's not how this works. So if you don't hear from them right away, then sure, give it a, give it a little bit. But that already is your cue that that's not it that that that's not the vibe, and that you need to pivot how you're telling that story.
0: Yeah. Oh, excellent advice. Um, in your opinion, why do most startups fail. I actually was reading something that like it was like 92% of all startups fail. You yeah. Know? It's
1: crazy. It's crazy. Um you know, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it is it is hard and I think there are a bunch of factors that go into it. Um I don't think anybody gets into it and exactly knows what they're in for, you know, and as a co-founder to a company, you know, there is there is stuff that you just cannot prepare for. Like, um, my co-founder, I always joke that we have three honorary MBAs by now from what we've learned by building Pink Shark PR. And so I think that there's that. I think that I, and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of startup founders, especially women, um, I don't know how well we always take care of ourselves, you know, in that process, because it's not just, physically grueling and physically draining, but mentally it's very exhausting and you are taking on responsibility and you are taking on pressure that a lot of people in your life don't understand. You know, a lot of people don't know, they don't, they don't understand. And of course you're choosing to do it because it's exciting and it's going to, you know, obviously the, the rewards outweigh the risk and some people are just meant to build things, but it can be a very isolating process and i think that it can get to people I, I feel very fortunate that i have built my company alongside of my best friend so that you know in the moments when it's hard and in the moments when we were getting off the ground we were like huh <laughs> you know you're you're there with some you're there with somebody but then i think that there are other pieces obviously you know and this is actually one thing that i think media helps with first of all you can't build in a dark in the dark you could have the best product now I believe that you need to build a wonderful, a great product. You cannot sell crap. I, I believe that. But I also know that you could have the best product in the world, and if nobody knows that you exist, if you're building in the dark, then customers, fund, like acquisition, customer acquisition, that is how the world turns. And one of the concerns that I've had for the startup community, now I understand like when you are building something like that to require sophisticated technology, You really don't have much of a choice. You do have to raise capital. I mean, the expense of that is is crazy. Um, But I think that we have focused, even if you need to raise, which many people do, we have have shifted the focus on becoming excellent fundraisers and not excellent leaders, excellent founders, excellent salespeople, excellent business people. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be flipped. You want to be a better business owner and salesperson and marketer and all of those things Then you want to be fundraiser, because ideally, when your door is open for business or when you're thinking about customers, there are ways to start getting cash flow and to become cash positive for a lot of industries right out of the gate. Um, And so I think that building in the dark is another one. And then I think the other is product market fit and that is actually one thing that early stage companies have the advantage on if you were if you decide not to build in the dark and if you decide to do media that focuses on thought leadership how you think connecting with the right strategic partners you can actually test your product market fit early on. And that is something that not enough people do. So a couple years ago, we had an early stage startup that was at the very beginning stages of launching their product. And they, they, they figured out where they could go to market with something small, pretty fast so that they could have something that would make them cash positive. And through our press efforts, he discovered that he did not have the right, he did not have the right product market fit. And it was so awesome to see, because one of the things that an agency like mine can provide you with is data. We can give you feedback. We can tell you what people think about it. We can tell you what your target audience who are represented by those reporters think or what their questions are or why they won't cover something. And so this particular press campaign, it wasn't what he expected, but it saved him a lot of grief and he was able to pivot and build something differently instead of put a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of effort only to find out later that it wasn't correct for his market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know so many people that have done that. So many people that don't do the market research before they build the thing. Why it's do people do that? <laughs> I don't
1: know, but it is mind blowing to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm saying that as as a person who, you know, owns owns a business and I definitely jumped into things before I researched stuff, but I don't have like products per se. Well, I've got courses, but that that is not the same thing as like a SaaS product. So Sure.
1: Yeah it's, a little, yeah. it's a little bit different, but I'm sure that even when you're doing courses, you know, you think about, you know, you talk to your Facebook group or you talk to your people on Instagram or you talk to whatever, and you start to get a feel for what they might want. And then you put feelers on it and then you build the course, you know? And so I think that that's just kind of what what our colleagues would benefit I think even in even in deep technology even in things where you know you really have to do it in in that case you know get mm-hmm. to know the market before you start building the product
0: yeah absolutely i know we kind of um touched on this a little bit before but i just wanted to ask um again what is the difference between how men and women approach their startups
1: yeah So men are definitely, so I would say that the women are, I mean, we are resilient. I mean, we are more resilient than if if men knew what we put up with on a daily basis and and keep, you know, showing up and taking names. Um, But I do think you, I do feel like men have more of a sense of entitlement. I definitely feel like there is, generally speaking, more, and again, you know, there are some, I I work with some wonderful men too, you know, I'm not going to say that that's everybody across the board, but generally speaking, there is more aggression, there's more entitlement, there's more temper tantrums when they don't get their way, (laughs) there's a little bit more ego bruising. I also feel like, you know, when we're talking about women-led companies, we are looking at I mean, and the stats show that teams are happier under women-led companies, that the longevity is there, that the team and customer satisfaction is there. We're more empathetic leaders. You know, we care about, you know, whereas men are working from a very old, like, get it done, whatever cost, I don't care, this is your job, make it happen, kind of like that grunting, you know, whatever – um, women are kind of refusing to work like that anymore, you know? So we are the ones who are spearheading things like, you know, mental health care, um, you know, having access to therapy, you know, at, at the workplace, um, rewarding where well, we, we pay we pay people better upfront. front. Um, we care more about people and we care more about what kind of company, and I'm not saying that this is everyone, but we just, we just approach it from a more empathetic as opposed to an aggressive. We're still very assertive. We're still very, we're very resilient. We still get the job done, but we take care of everybody on the way too. And so I think, and then we have a lot of data that supports that, you know, that, that women leadership, you know, um, I think the story has been passing around and I can't think of her name, but um, Canva's co-founder or founder and CEO. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, she really struggled in the beginning. Nobody thought that she was going to be able to take on Adobe and she's thriving. She has a billion dollars in the bank, 3,500 employees who all, you know, they keep growing. You can't people get people out of not wanting to work at Canva. They want to work at Canva and she has done some very, Unique things that I would say that a lot of her male counterparts would not do and she's absolutely crushing it. So um, I do think we lead more with with empathy less with aggression. Um, and I and I think that that helps us build that helps us build stronger loyal teams. Yes. And the team is, and the team is everything that you don't have anything without a really good team.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it takes uh time and it takes a lot of work to build trust on your team. This is a, um, major topic that I teach. Um, and if your team doesn't trust you or each other, you know, that is a recipe for disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, what advice would you have for anyone who is thinking about making a startup? (laughs) it's a heavy question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So don't build in the dark, you know, start talking about it. Start making friends in the media. Start making friends that are your colleagues. Start making what I call, you know, um, strategic alliances. So like people that are in your industry, but do not compete with you. So they have made, they serve your customer in a different way. Um, and do a lot of reading. I, I feel like people could really benefit from not from connecting, but also doing a lot of reading, understand how, how it works, understand, you know, other people's journeys, you know, and, and I do think biographies are a great place to start. I also think reading about how fundraising works, reading about how crowdfunding works, uh, reading about, you know, how you can bootstrap. I, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of respect for companies that that bootstrap. Um because then, you know, you are, you are in the, in the free and clear there's, there's perks to, there's perks to both. Um, I also would say to please remember that it is a marathon and not a sprint. And in the beginning, you are going to want to think, you know, it all you're going to want to think that you're the smartest person in the room. You are going to want to get things done fast, so fast that you wish they were done yesterday. And you're probably not going to want to listen to people's advice around you. And it is very important to listen to your own intuition But your goal is not to be the smartest person at your company. Your goal is to hire people that are way smarter than you at what they do. And when you can fill your company and your team with people who can run circles around you at their area of genius, your life is going to get really good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And do that
1: sooner than later, because the longer you hold on trying to do it all thinking, you know, it all thinking, you know, that is a sinking ship. So Your mission should be about getting yourself in a position where you could bring on the best of the best. And that doesn't necessarily mean the most expensive of the best because, you know, as a young company, you may not be able to bring on a whole bunch of senior people, but I'll tell you, a whole bunch of senior people is not really necessarily where all the talent is. Um, So look for raw talent, look for people who are really good at what they do and do it as fast as you can.
0: Absolutely. That is such excellent advice. I always hate this part of the show because I could talk to you all day and all night especially because and i forgot to mention this earlier before we started recording we found out that we're both big disney fans and like (laughs) anyone that listens to this show knows like i'm a pass holder i i live in you know orlando i've I was just at Disney on Tuesday, you know, and I'm going again tomorrow. So, on
1: Saturday to get yes. my tiara specifically yes. for this show. <laughs>
0: That's, that, that, I love that you went to Disneyland to specifically get a tiara for this show, it's so appropriate. <laughs>
1: Us. Yes. I was like, okay, well, I'm talking to Shelly next week, so I, have a tiara. To I need a tiara. So my co-founder and I went down to down to Disney and and got tiaras. She got one. We we both got them. It was a blast.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, before I I uh, end this um, episode and let you go, can you um, tell us if you are promoting anything and where people can connect with you online?
1: Absolutely. So I would love to connect with everybody. Um, To connect with me personally, um, it would be great if you could connect with me on LinkedIn, um, Jenny Barris. Um, Also, we have a company page at Pink Shark PR on LinkedIn. So definitely, you know, take, I I put a lot of like really cool PR insights on that page. So it'd be great to have you follow along. Um, We just launched last year, which we are so excited about. The results have been so fantastic. So As early stage startup founders know, you do need press to get the funding, to get the customers, uh, to get the money. But generally speaking, until now, you need the money to get the PR team (laughs) and all of the work that goes into securing that. And because I've worked with early stage founders, you know, for for 15 years, you know, my co-founder and I really wanted to come up with a service that was specifically for early stage An accelerator that was designed for specific needs that early stage founders need at this stage. Um, So we have what we are calling the Startup Press Accelerator, and it is startup priced. It's extremely aggressive. It it tackles the three areas which startups need to focus on in the first six to twelve months of coming out of stealth, and. One of our clients had six major interviews in two weeks from the Accelerator, um, Like, and we're talking like good interviews, you know, like actually TechCrunch, Crunchbase, Business Insider, really, um, you know, outlets that really move the needle. So we are currently enrolling for the Accelerator. So anybody that would be interested in that, they could either DM me on LinkedIn or anyone's welcome to reach out to me at Jenny at PinkSharkPR.com.
0: That's awesome. What a cool idea. I might, I might talk to you about this after <laughs> we're yes, done talking. Yes, color yeah, is,
1: yeah color your vibe, everyone.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for always treating my clients like gold too. We really appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. If you want to support us, please like, subscribe and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover, and follow TRs in Tech on social media, and use the hashtag MakeYourselfShine. Thanks for watching or listening, and have a great day!